This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Be Here Now guest podcast. This series features a collection of teachings and conversations centered around mindfulness, spiritual growth, and living a life in balance. Each week, our diverse network of guest teachers and hosts offer up wisdom and practices from a different spiritual path and perspective. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash donate. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Ramdas Fellowship. I am not Jackie Dobrinska. I'm Raghu Marcus. And Jackie is having to take a little time to heal up. And so here I am and happy to be here with... Uh, it's always fun to be with Satsang. So I, I feel like uh, I've got uh, a nice opportunity to hang out with uh, Spring Washam. And uh, all of you, because as Thich Nhat Hanh said, the next Buddha is the Sangha or Satsang. So here we are. And uh, I would say that the first thing that I would like to do is uh, maybe just get settled here, take a few breaths in and, mm -hmm. and do what Ramdas has recommended in the latter years of his life so strongly, which is to move from the eye up in the head that is the big judger and uh, storyteller into the center of one's chest, into the loving awareness spot, which is called by many different names. And uh, mm. uh, all we got to do, it's a very simple process. It's taking a breath in to the center of our being and a breath mm -hmm. out. And as you do it, you feel your perspective moving from your head and everything we've been doing all day long and all of the different identities that we have and roles and let it out. So another breath in. And out goes all of the unfortunate little schmooze that Ramdas used to talk about that we get grasping at, attachments and so on. And one last breath. Yeah. 
and we can feel ourselves hopefully a little bit more firmly ensconced in that spiritual heart. That's kind of the, I like that description of it. There's many names for it. So again, welcome, and um, I'm happy to be here with Spring. And uh, Spring is a a meditation teacher, author, visionary leader, and she does these wonderful trips into South America. And I have your bio here, Spring, and nobody's talking about the great shamanistic work that you do and visionary (laughs) work. And that is uh, alongside of really a, a... quote-unquote practical meditation uh, (laughs) practice. Uh, And, uh, you know, you bringing mindfulness-based healing practices to diverse communities is terrific work that Spring does Uh, and teaches at East Bay Meditation Center. I think you still do in downtown Oakland. Mm -hmm. And um, and so welcome. And and Spring's going to talk about wisdom, compassion, strength, and courage. Any one of those things would take uh, about a week's retreat, but let's see what what happens here. But uh, welcome, Spring, to the Ramdas Fellowship. Thank you. And I always love this fellowship. There's a lot of sweetness here, a lot of kindness. And I, I really appreciate the heart and I appreciate the devotion. And I appreciate Ramdas as our great ancestor now. I was thinking about him as an ancestor, you know, how he's still alive. <laughs> he's still floating around. And and I really, there's a lot of strength we can draw from that, from his words, the writing. You know more than anybody. You're sort of the the caretaker of all of the, 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 the files. Many. <laughs> One of the many, many, the many. archives, the archives of the the wisdom teachings. Well, that's a good thing, you know. And I, as I think about this topic of strength, courage, and wisdom, I I think about what how much our ancestors do mean to us. And you know, when we think about shamanism, and people might have thought I had a different topic, but I want to talk about the strength that we draw from our family tree, where we come from, who we are, all of those things matter. You know, we are a product of our great, 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 great grandmothers and our great, 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 great grandfathers. You know, we are who we are because of them. And I think it's really a beautiful exploration to really think about ourselves in a living lineage, just like Ram Dass has a living lineage, you know, through his guru and the Tibetan traditions are living lineages. I think there's something really powerful about recognizing ourselves in a lineage, right? As someone who carries that lineage forward. And, um, I know for for me, really connecting with that in the last few years has been heartbreaking and empowering. (laughs) You're not going to escape the sadness and the pain of the lineage. (laughs) There's always there's always the ancestors that seem to ruin everything. But then there's always these ancestors that build everything back up. Right. And 
who are you going to be in your living lineage? What are you going to leave behind? What are what are people going to say in your family tree about you? You know, it's really important to think about that. The seven generations that come after us, the next generation. I, I've been thinking about that a lot as I move, as all of us are moving in different times, but we're moving into elderhood, not old, but elder is um, an archetype, right? An archetypal role of uh, someone who carries wisdom, right? A wise elder, not just a grumpy old stuck elder. We don't, you know, we don't really need that. We need like the wisdom, the courageous elders. I think our young, young generation is crying out for that. And I think in some ways, Ram Dass really represents that. You know, over to his last breath, he had this, this place of being the wise elder. You know, I would run into people all the time, young people, and they'd just be getting his book, Be Here Now, and they'd be so excited. Like it was, did you ever hear about this book? <laughs> I was like, this is so great. Yes, you know, he's the wise elder for you, you know? And I just love that, you know, that that this 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 can go on and on. So I invite our community tonight, our fellowship, our friends, to to where do you see yourself? How can we learn to draw strength from our ancestors, who we are, where we come from, the land we were born on? You know, this means a lot. This is a part of our identity. On the relative level, of course, on the absolute level, we're just stars, right? We know that. We're light. We're cosmic. But on the relative level, here and now, this does mean something, right? This does mean something. And um, and as we think about ancestors and who we call on in our prayers, even the gurus are what? They're just our ancestors now, <laughs> If you really think about it, all the greats, Ramana Maharshi, Bhagawan, Nichananda, all of them, Yogananda, now Ramdas, right? There are there are ancestors and they're still alive. They're on our altars. We're talking to them. And the same way you talk to them is the same way you can talk to your own ancestors that have passed on. And there's a kind of power that we can draw on, a strength especially to those ancestors that had a lot of fortitude, a lot of mm, wisdom. And that might take some looking in your family tree. It might take you to go back and see who, what was my great-great-grandmother like? Where was she born? What was her life like? Great-grandfather, where was he from? Where did he grow up, right? These are energies that are connected to us and we can understand ourselves deeper actually through this in the west we're not taught that we live in lineages we're taught of individuals alone walk this path as a lone soldier right fight it out by yourself you came here alone (laughs) nothing matters you disappeared (laughs) and you go forth by yourself you know and i think that that's you know it's not accurate. I'll just say it's inaccurate for lack of a better word. 
And I think of Maya Angelou, the great writer and poet. She used to say, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000, meaning 10,000 ancestors, right? And you see this a lot in the African-American world. I feel the ancestors are very alive, Native American too, right? Ancestors are right there. But somehow, I think sometimes in the West, we have a blindness to that and we miss out on the connection and the wisdom that can come through and the power. I mean, Maya Angelou said, I stand with 10,000, meaning those 10,000 were somehow supporting her, right? They were standing with her, behind her, pushing her. And I just think there's something really beautiful about that as I feel like all these gurus and teachers and, and lamas, all those that have passed on, they're still standing with us. Right. And we know that we feel it. We don't have you don't have to tell me I how much we all feel our teachers who have passed on that are still alive. Right. And they're still downloading. So um, I wanted to think about that a little bit with the audience tonight as thinking about your own ancestors and how you relate to the idea that you are in a living lineage and you are part of that lineage. And the work that you do, the spiritual work that you do can affect that lineage, right? You can heal that line. It's like a family tree, right? That has like, that's, that needs to be trimmed up or it's growing out of control or it's a little bit sick. You can water it, you can trim it, you can take care of it and you can send nutrients up into the tree. It's very, very powerful to think about our lives in that context. We all just nature. Mm. Yeah, were you going to say something? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just want to remind people because I forgot that you can write in a question for spring in the chat and uh, we will try our best to get as many into, into answering as many as possible. So I want everybody to know that. And uh, you know, in about 15 minutes or whenever spring feels like it, we can go there. But if something pops up, like we're talking about ancestors right now and everything you said is uh, pr very provocative for people because mm -hmm. we don't have that tradition, which is the wisdom tradition of indigenous people mm -hmm. around our ancestors. They do in India, and I've experienced it there with our family over there. But I, th I have uh, worked with a couple of different uh, shaman who absolutely have helped me enormously to understand the process that you just described. Yes, thank you. And of course, I love questions. Actually, that's the best way that I teach is in a Q&A kind of live interactive stat standpoint. So I love that. And, and also, you know, we are all on this healing journey together. And Learning about your ancestors also can give you a lot more compassion for yourself, your habits, the way that you operate, uh, the belief systems that you have, sort of the programming that you have. Sometimes we feel frustrated that we're not farther along in our path and we feel, why is my heart still closed? Or why do I have these fears? Or why do I respond in these certain ways? A lot of this, if you go in your family, you'll see, oh, my father's like that. My grandfather's like that. My mother's like that, right? And, and 
this is really important. This can give us a lot more compassion for ourselves. Like everything is passed down. And this is like the shamanic work where, um, you know, I've seen so many powerful stories working in Peru. I remember I had this one uh, guest that came down and she was um, Chinese, uh, but grew up in London and had moved to the United States. And she had this terrible problem with her feet, even though she was beautiful and healthy, this unbearable pain in her feet. And then when she did some family research, her grandmother was the last one in her family to be foot bound, like where they binded their feet. And here she was in this day and age, unbearable pain. And and I said, well, let's just work on it and work on it and work on it. But once she understood that, (laughs) it was like, oh, okay, this is my work. So a lot of times what we're doing is this overwhelming sense of, you know, baggage sometimes that we have. It's not just ours. (laughs) You know, this is, we're going back and back and back. And the more that we can purify what's arising through awareness, through the heart, finding our courage to, to know the truth, to be with the truth truth of the moment or the truth of whatever has happened around us in our families. But we've got to be willing to take the blinders off and see that we're much more interconnected. <laughs> this is not, we're not lone individuals. We're born, you know, into a community. And like you said, you read that Thich Nhat Hanh poem or that his saying where, you know, the next Buddha is the community. And it's away from the individual self into the sense of we're, we're all one here, right? And we're all connected in multitude of ways. I mean, who knows how vast this really goes. To the, According to the Tibetans, everyone on the planet has been your mama, okay? So there you go. <laughs> Everybody's been your father, right? That's really profound. We can't even really... We don't have the capacity to take that in, you know, but that doesn't mean it's not accurate, right? doesn't mean that's not, that might be a a real, real deep truth. But what we can do is start to look at ourselves in a living lineage. Where are my people? Where is my lineage? Are they, is there wisdom? Is there compassion? And then we can bring forth that out of ourselves, right? We can heal by just our consciousness. And um, and that's what I'm doing a lot of the work I'm doing. So when I when I think about courage and I think about strength, I think about both of my lineages are pretty broken, right? In in the last few, the last few years, just by all of the traumas and dramas and pain, but somehow like You step into that and you use it. (laughs) You use them. You use the the suffering to to open something. You know, suffering can be very powerful if we open our heart to it. And I say this with real experience. I'm not just giving you a line out of a book. I'm giving you this from my, my heart, my gut, is that the difficulties, even family or health or societal 
these are mirrors, you know, and we can grow if we open to them. We can learn by opening to them. We can see reality in a different way and we can see the kind of person we don't want to be and how much our real heart is needed in the world, you know, and this is where real strength comes from. You know, it comes from the willingness to be with what feels unbearable, right? To open to it. The Buddha, I always think of the Buddha under the Bodhi tree and he's all these, you know, years sitting there and all these things are coming up in in the mind stream. How could they not, right? Everything's there. And, you know, his message to the world was, yes, there's madness. It's crazy. How do you heal it? Open to it. (laughs) Which is so counter. It's so counter to what we think about, right? When things are hard, we don't open to it. (laughs) He's saying, you want to liberate it? Surrender and just open to it, right? This is not the Western way. The Western way is fight it first, suppress it, medicate it, ignore it, deny it. And then when it's right about to kill you, I'll open to it. That, those are, those are we, can, we can go a long way. Yeah. There's a multitude of spiritual bypass around suffering, for sure. Oh, and I mean, I, I have compassion for all of them. They're just strategies. Yeah. They're strategies. Hmm. Oh, that's so great. Uh, I let me I'll just tell you because it just occurs when you just started talking about courage okay so there's there's actually a famous story and I'm sure people that are with us tonight may have heard it but it's worth repeating one of those stories it's from Krishna Das and he was uh, uh, with Neem Karoli Baba and out out of station he was in Mumbai in a hotel room of all things and he came so he got together there and they were with one Indian devotee who was doing the translating. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, Maharaji said, courage is everything. So mm-hmm. the Indian devotee said, no, this is uh, bhakti devotional. We're bhaktas. And whatever comes just comes through the guru and it's, you know, the traditional interpretation mm-hmm. of bhakti yoga, basically. And to Maharaji, no, what do you mean? It's, you know, courage, because it implies developing something that you can have a part in, right? And then Maharaji did not, he looked at Krishnas and he went like this. Courage is a very important thing. He reiterated again. For the rest mm-hmm. of his life, Krishnas, whenever things have gotten you know, where we're talking about suffering and gotten to a place where you, you can turn one way or the other, either fight it or, as you said, surrender and be in it and allow it to be, that whole moment would come to him and he'd be able to have so much support to navigate. So courage, very important, right? Very important. I think... I don't think anyone can survive on the path without it Mm. because you might experience a lot of bhakti, but then you might not. And then what do you do? 
And you got to have your courage to deal with that. You got to have a certain fortitude to look at life honestly, to see all the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just, it takes, it, it takes heart. It takes courage to get in a relationship where it's unknown and unchartered, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. It takes courage to deal with this reality that's impermanent and always changing. You know, it takes a lot of heart. And and I, I think also of Harriet Tubman, where I'm writing a book about Harriet Tubman right now, very spiritual book. It's like a channeled book. It's, it's, it's very mystical. And she's writing from being a very evolved being, right? That came down like a like a angel that came, Bodhisattva, that came down to. And I don't know a more courageous human being, spirit being than Harriet Tubman. I mean, it, it just it is like it's pretty mind blowing. I mean, that was kind of the core superpower. <laughs> But it came from just having an open heart too, right? And the willingness to be with fear, the willingness to feel it and be with it. I think the open heart is uh, is so absolutely crucial. And mm. uh, how e- easy is it for us to feel so oppressed that we can't allow things to be? And what... Any teacher would say to somebody who had the question, well, how do I open my heart when things are really rough? And uh, and it goes beyond what I think my capacity is to actually let go in the moment. And there's only one answer, practice. I mean, practice. that is the element that none of us like because there's a, there is a, a discipline involved and it can't be the I need to discipline. It has to come from a different place, which usually happens when you know, things get really rough. And then yes. you, you have to spend the time, whichever way, if it isn't meditation, certainly as you mentioned before, mindfulness and awareness mm-hmm. to see who we are not and allow that to change. But sitting somewhere for a few minutes in contemplation, meditation, chanting, uh, uh, whatever it may be, so that you are sitting with that being inside ourselves that is not caught the way that we are when we allow our thoughts to take over. And another way to practice, too, if people want to be more interactive, is at the beginning of your day, Make every person you meet your heart practice from the bus driver. And you just say, hi, you you emanate love. You practice sharing your love. I've had so much magic with that. Mm, I mean, this great. love field just takes you and adventures and and gifts. And, and it's just becomes the day becomes so much more fun. Because you're engaged in this heart level, you're, you know, and that's, and you can start to practice that more and more, mm. you know, go, go on, you know, go on a walk and and have that mindset. I'm just going to be love. And the more we practice it, like anything, what you practice grows. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> 
I it mean, can take a long time, but we're yeah. going to get there. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's an ongoing journey for sure for decades. When you were talking about suffering, we had talked about this before uh, we got on. And uh, I said, yeah, you, boy, mm-hmm. you get the kind of suffering that really has you up against the wall. Uh, Ramdas becomes a good example of how one can look out and and uh, re- move their perspective over just a, a few feet can make a huge difference in how mm-hmm. this suffering gets uh, transformed. And Fierce Grace, we talked about that film. We should I don't know if any of you out there have not seen that particular film uh, with Ramdas about his stroke. Uh, it's well worth watching. And, uh, but the reality is, uh, I mean, we're not at the question. Well, we're at the Q&A part already. I'm going to start it, okay, Spring? I'm yeah, I'm sure. How, it, what is a uh, efficacious way, shall we say, to move one's perspective out of that belief in the thinking mind, the story, and the perspective that we we're ingrained into as a child with parents. As soon as you get your name, okay, I'm a something now and I'm a somebody and it goes on from there. How to move that perspective over a little bit so that it is no longer the judge and jury. Just that kind of simple thing. Yes, yes. And and the questions are always about Moving more into care. How do I care about this life? What does compassion look like? What is compassion? I get that question all the time. I don't know what it is. Just means care. (laughs) I care about the pain in my body and my heart. I care about the pain around me. and And I want to reduce it in some way. I would like to alleviate it. We can start there. The thought of what can I do to maybe lessen my own and then those around? You know, it's, it, we can start very basic. You know, it doesn't have to be some grand, you're not, you don't have to be the Dalai Lama right now. Just be you. <laughs> it's very hard for any of us to be the Dalai Lama. Okay. Um, we want to be the Dalai Lama, but Dalai Lama has many lifetimes as Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> we have many lifetimes with ourselves, you know, and these kind of. But you know what he said? Did you see? I mean, I saw you. I've heard him say this many times before. It was Mother's Day yesterday. And so he mm. made some, they put up either comments he made or at some other point about his mother. He said, my mother was so compassionate. I was the youngest mm. child. And he said, she, she would put me on her shoulders when I was working and so on. And I'd, I'd put, I had one hand on each ear and I'd pull in one direction to the direction I wanted to go. And then when she wouldn't do it, I'd cry and I'd stomp and everything. And she only loved me. He said, whatever you see of me, whatever compassion mm-hmm. I have now is from my mother. And, and he's said it other times, that is what is going to save humanity is that yes. mothers evincing this kind of love and compassion and then that mm. child growing into a being that's going to really contribute, serve. Basically, which is what you just said about here's how to shift the perspective. Start, I'm going to put it in very simple, really simple terms. Start thinking about others 
other than yourself all the time. That'll switch your perspective out of this me, me, me. Yeah. And it's not in a, in a, and I love that story, by the way, he wrote a book about his mother that I just wept about. It was so devotional. Um, And I had that story where he would (laughs) all day long, he'd be grabbing her ears trying to, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, And that's what mothers do. God, God bless them. You know, the good mamas out there who's trying to raise their children with love and compassion. And, um, and, and still, if you didn't get raised like that, there's hope. <laughs> you know, we can do this. There's change that happens through awareness, through practice, and through just practicing, you know, through practicing kindness. I really, kindness is my practice every time I leave my house. You know, even when I get impatient, I'm like, okay, kindness, okay. Um, And it just makes everything go so much better. Even when I'm not getting what I want, you know, like someone's saying, no, we can't really do that. It's like, okay, um, okay, kindness anyway. (laughs) You know, like, you know, it's just, that's okay. But a lot of times things do go well. You know, things, people respond and it, and it's, and it's to know that everyone right now, I guess a message to the whole fellowship is that everyone in this moment in time is desperate for it. And if it's someone who's working at a restaurant or giving you coffee, like to see them, to recognize them, it, you have no idea what one or two kind words can do for someone right? We, we minimize the impact of our heart too, yeah. right? We don't see like, oh, well, why no, they're just doing this thing? I don't, I'll ignore them. But if we turn to the person and we say, I oh, thank you. I appreciate you. Wow. You clean this whole space or this happened or something happened around that. It can really, it can really change someone's life in, in that moment and, and deeply nourish them. Right. So just don't don't underestimate your own powerful heart. Mm. Very true. Yeah. Very. very. Uh, Here's a question. Uh, It's very delicate when one speaks of uh, one of the eightfold path being right effort. And we talk about practice a lot. We Mm -hmm. all do in, in all of these formats. And it can get very delicate when one is coming from, uh, let's say, not quite the open heart space around practice. And there's, I should do it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it is here and I am in it, do it. It's a, there's a big difference between the perspective. So back to perspective. Mm-hmm. What is the right perspective to get into with in, in terms of right effort and practice? Well, you know, what's interesting is um, the Eightfold Path, I started translating right as wise. Mm. What is the wise effort, yeah. right? What is Less polarizing. Sure. Yeah, right gets in the wrong and then yeah, I'm bad. Yeah, and yeah. then, you know, yeah. and then we feel like there's a dictator over us. And, you know, we can make a monster out of anything, even yeah. our spiritual Amazing. practice. And that's our habit. I understand that. Um, 
You know, I think with practice, you have to be gentle. You know, there's times where um, we have a lot of motivation and we get on a spurt. You know, it's like a it's like a marathon. We're going. But then the marathon ends, right? You get to the 22nd mile and then you're like, well, I'm tired. <laughs> and then it's in that in that, you know, that midpoint before you hit another big stride. How do we how do we stay motivated? Mm. And I think it's different for all of us. It's to find your deeper intention. Why do I want to practice? Why am I doing this? We can lose track of that because we just get in the discipline. I'm supposed to sit here. I'm supposed to do this. And I really think practicing in that way isn't really that helpful. Mm. I've seen strivers. On, I used to teach long retreats. I'll never forget. I taught this six-week retreat at Insight Meditation Society. And there was this group of young guys and they were just the strivers and they were killing themselves thinking <laughs> they were so miserable and so restless and they wanted to leave and they were crying and then they, I will not leave. And I said, honey, just let go. <laughs> Just be in your heart. What are you trying to get? What are you, what, what, what is this about? You're mm. making yourself insane. It was like comp competitive meditation. Yeah, that's good. You know, that's America. It was, it had just, I just would, and they would just be weeping, you know, when they would be in an interview with me. And I would just say, just stop all of this and just do compassion practice because compassion, love will know the effort needed in any situation. You know, and it'll apply the effort at the right moment. You know, yes, it's good to practice, but be careful of the mind state. You know, even if we're tired and we know it's a good thing, if you're doing it out of this like brut brutality, just stop for a moment. Because <laughs> you're just kind of conditioning that. I actually don't think it's that helpful, <laughs> you know? But if we can kind of, okay, develop a little bhakti, turn on the music, feel our, our energy, pray to the gurus, sing. There are other ways to get the mind ready, you know. And I'm a big believer in preparation for long periods of meditation. Oh. Like I don't just hang up the phone, have a terrible conversation. I'm going to meditate and then sit down and think of, could be good sometimes, uh -huh. but that's not going to... The sustaining is the love and the bhakti and the compassion. Mm. Mm. It's not. It's not the you know drill sergeant. Yeah. Well, we we always rebel against them. <laughs> so, I had a drill sergeant for a father, and I am like still listening to the drill sergeant. Yeah, the, I just I'm laughing a little bit more at it than I ever used to. So you know, it's, it's yeah, it's true. You grew up with a drill sergeant, Raghu. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, uh, then it's hard to get it. Actually, sorry, Dad. Well, it's good. But then that's, then we have to be aware that that voice of how you do things, right? And how compassion is not the path. <laughs> Tyrants hate compassion, right? <laughs> so, so therefore, that's that's something, you know, that's something that inside ourselves that we might approach situations at different times. And all of us have the tyrant. All of us. It's not all of us have the tyrant. We're we're both. We're the tyrant, we're the devotee, we're the lover, we're the murderers, we're you know. 
We're we're the dams. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, you know, uh, this says this is a non sequitur. It had nothing to do with anything, but I was saved because I'm thinking about my father mm. now. Yeah. He came to India to visit my brother and I, thinking that would be a good thing to do after he found out we were... He wasn't coming to save us. He was actually coming there to see what in the hell is going on, these people. My son's there with this guru. What the hell? So he came over, and and what happened subsequently when he first met Maharaj was Maharaji turned to me and went, did you give him the medicine? I said, yeah, he had a cold. I, I gave him some aspirin. He said, no. The yogi medicine Ramdas gave me. I went acid, <laughs> and my father went LSD. And he said, "Yeah, take care of your father while he's in India, and meet me in two weeks in another place." And sure enough, a friend had a hit of acid. My father took mm. it. He was a World War II fight uh, pilot of a bomber for the RIF, wow. and he thought he, you know, he had PSD coming out of his ears. P PSD. <laughs> PTSD, yeah. PTSD, oh my God. And anyhow, um, everything, he had a death trip and then Maharaji told a lot of stuff about his life that nobody could know. He fell on the floor and from then on, we were fine. (laughs) That's what it took. Well, that just goes to show you how these other medicines can really help. I mean, obviously that's a whole nother world, but while it can break through something really powerful... yeah, and that's why. And you're, I know you are um, helping a lot of people in many different ways, but certainly you understand, and I, I'm, we have never really talked about it, you and I, but the uh, psychedelic therapy movement and mm-hmm. what's going on with um, ceremonial gathering uh, around these uh, substances is very powerful. And um, you talked about people coming up to you, oh, yeah, I just... Be here now. Yeah, I can't believe it, you know. And this that's what happened 50 years ago. Yeah. The same thing. But you know what the same thing and that I get is, yeah, no, I had my first like, mushroom trip and I th- suddenly be here now appeared. I thought, what am I, in 1969 again? I mean, it's incredible the power of uh, that particular statement and what Ramdas said with that book in so many different ways, really all boiled down to be here now, which was an <laughs> aphorism, by the way, that Ramdas himself told me, no, this was me telling, I was traveling with Bhagavan Das and he was taking me to see his guru and I kept regaling him with stories of all my acid days with Leary and everything and finally he got fed up and said, Ramda, uh, Richard, there was no just Ramdas yet. Here. Can you just be here now? You know, he probably used an epithet as well. So it wasn't a holy... (laughs) It wasn't a holy statement. (laughs) But it all boils down to, you know, us being in that moment. Yeah. Well, also, thank you so much for sharing that story about your father. Wow, what a powerful story that is. That's really... Yeah, wow. all that, yeah, all of that, by the way, is in uh, Love Everyone, this wonderful book of, of our stories of going to India, and it's all detailed out, all kinds <laughs> of fun, fun stories about this. By the way, something else I forgot. Spring is joining us in August at a beautiful retreat center in the Yay. Blue Ridge Mountains, and we can't wait, and it's uh, October. Uh, 
August 25th through 29th. Go to ramdas.org slash mountain retreat and you'll see the whole lineup with Krishna Das and Bob Thurman and Sharon Salzberg will be uh, zoomed in unless we can kind of figure a way to drive her over. Rally him there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, um, East Forest will be there and Nina Rao and... We got wonderful music, Chantala, Benji Wertheimer, and I will be there as well. And Duncan Trussell will zoom in as well, I believe. So, yeah, please go there and uh, you can, uh, you'll see the connecting links on that page. So, um, I'm very excited about that. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I love the idea of being in the music and, yeah. Yeah, yes. no, no, it's quite wonderful, you know, especially Krishnas as it builds over each night of him doing all of that chanting. It's it's powerful. And then in the morning, same thing goes on with movement and chant. Yeah, it's really quite wonderful. Um, oh, boy. Okay, question. Another question. Um, this is about karma. And uh, when we talk about everything that we have been talking about in terms of compassion and strength and courage and uh, all of these topics that uh, Spring has brought up, uh, yes, I would say karma is uh, so present, but uh, it cannot be... I'm, I'm, I'll give you my little thing. Spring will elaborate. Uh, it cannot... It is not a rational concept that we can say... Oh, yeah, somebody just popped us in the head. Well, I'm going to pop them back. Karma, eh? You know, it's like what mm. Ram Dass tells a great story that uh, you're walking along the street, somebody falls down and loses their drink, you know, by tripping, and you look down and go, karma. You know, that mm. is the insanity of us in the West, the way that we think things are so um, rational and... Um, and have no connectivity to that which is the mystery. So, um, yeah, it is so ever, uh, it, it is such a deeply part of our whole uh, system uh, of, as humans. And I'll let you take it uh, from there. Yeah. So, was the question, what is karma? Or? Just, uh, is it already said, and how how does it uh, mm. affect us, and how do we relate okay. with understanding the things that happen in our lives uh, that um, we either don't quite know how it came to that moment, or mm -hmm. it actually is um, quite disturbing because we are looking back and going, "Oh my God, is this what?" I'm in store for. Right, right. And I understand that, you know, we think about the bad things that have happened to us and we think, oh my gosh, was I this kind of person? Or I think, you know, it's interesting from the, the Buddhist perspective, I'll just add that piece in, is that, um, you know, actions can take a lot, lifetimes to have results, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to look at karma as like I'm planting seeds all the time, right? With my body, speech, and mind, you know, I'm planting seeds. I'm a seed planter. I'm a gardener. <laughs> what are you putting in the ground? And the great thing is, is karma is not static, 
It can be purified. What you do right now in this moment affects your past and your future simultaneously. You know, what you do in this moment. And and we all carry a burden of our confused thoughts and our tangles. We all have to come in this life with our our, our mesh of tangles and it's our it's our holy duty to nobly sort it out, right? We get our helping of, of, all, of all the madness. And, and, you know, just know that every time that you're practicing and you're living a life that is ethical, that is you're walking in integrity, you're walking in nobility, you're walking your path honestly um, with compassion, that you're purifying karma. You're purifying karma. And there's things that you can actively do to offset karma. I want to, you know, the Dalai Lama, since we were talking about the Dalai Lama, you know, when I, when I was younger, I did a lot of unskillful things. And they used to come up a lot on my meditation retreats. I remember I used to shoplift when I was 13 and all the, you know, just this is what happens when you don't have parents around, you know, when you're, you're on your own. You, 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 it's not skillful. It's not good. <laughs> the teenage mind left alone, not a good idea, <laughs> you know? So I did a lot of things and I can remember a time in my practice where I felt like, okay, I'm going to purify these things. And there's ways to purify that, you know, by developing regret, sincere regret. Then, um, actively uh, confessing to someone, there's a power in confession, telling someone, I feel this is heavy on my heart. This, um, you know, just the act, monks and nuns confess once a month, they get together and have ceremonies where they confess things. Mm. It's just to unleash, it's like in 12 step, what do they say? You're only as sick as your secrets, right? So when we hold on to these things, they they kind of take a life of their own of shame and blame. But when we get it out, we're like, oh, it feels lighter. Yeah, okay, I did this thing. And then what you can do is you can also actively do good things and and dedicate the merit to offset this other unskillful thing. Isn't that nice? You can (laughs) do a good good thing over here. Well, you know, they say it works. According to the Dalai Lama, I got this out of his book of of how to be enlightened. Yeah. On a book about karma. He said, you can do a good action. Maybe you give money to a temple or you, you, you do something or you help a group of monastics or you do something. And then you say, may the goodness go with your whole heart to offset that unskillful action. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. You uh, really can change what's things What's the name like that. of that book? Uh, yeah, there's a great <laughs> book. <laughs> about three million of them. Uh, now, what, called, do you remember the name? It's called How to Be Enlightened by Dalai Lama. Really? And he talks about the whole practice because I've memorized that section on karma because I teach that a lot because people often come to me and rather we're in Peru or we're here and there's things that have happened. And they said, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I I Mm. see it. You know, so it's a way we forgive ourselves too. Mm. You know, Mm. our karma is also what we have done and then what others have done. Right. And, but the more we can start forgiving ourselves, the more we can forgive other people. It's so much easier. Mm-hmm. When we, we, we look at our own mistakes and we say, okay, yeah. So karma is changeable. It's malleable. What you do right now affects the next moment. <laughs> so it's kind of an alive state. You know, it means action. Actually, karma means action. So try not to get too hung up on who did what, when, why from the past. We just kind of have to work with the conditions, but more to pay attention to what am I doing now? (laughs) How am I responding now? What is my uh, energy now? Am I still hanging on to hatred? Am I being cruel? Am I being loving? Right? Because that's a seed in the ground that plants a seed for the future. So just to be aware of that. Also, the other thing Dalai Lama said in, in, in his book is going on pilgrimages also purifies karma. Mm-hmm. You, on these holy places, we can release energy, old past actions. Meditation purifies karma as we sit and we go through the fires and the sorrow and we just open, you know. When we do, we just open and let all the waves of energy go. We're purifying men. So so we just accept, you know, things as they are, but we can offset things too. We can actively engage in forgiveness practice and then vow never to do it again. That was the last piece. (laughs) Make a vow. (laughs) You know, when you said uh, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, if you do this, a, an offering with a pure heart, yes, you know, as soon as you said that, I saw his face. It's Aww. just an image of, you know, I love Aww. him, you know, and I've seen him so many times uh, yes. live when he used to come here to teach. But in that moment, you, I just saw one great thing is you can, that's why it's, you know, you have on your little altar some of these beings. Mm-hmm. And this particular being, when you look at him, he is so full of his holiness full of compassion and love and uh you can be in that with him by virtue of just sitting quietly somebody just asked what's favorite practice and uh you know you'll you'll say what's yours but this occurs to me because i do have that uh the image absolutely reflects who you are deep inside yourself maybe not so deep but certainly you know most of us have that covered up and the reflection of his holiness in that moment i just saw how beautiful is that because 
he is an instant, he's a bridge mm-hmm. to allow a pure heart to appear, you know, mm-hmm. and he is, uh, he is certainly someone to have on one's altar. But that, that is a, a definitive practice, and whether it be one's guru, it doesn't have to be your guru, because there's only one guru, ultimately, that, right. that is that which has gone beyond and is no longer polarized and is not living in, in that kind of condition anymore. And to have them around as reflections uh, allows that pure heart to, to manifest itself. Huh? So I think that's yes. a good practice. Yes, beautiful. What, Okay, what's your favorite practice? You know, I it's I would say honestly, at the end of the day, my favorite practice is always what we call the Brahma Viharas. Mm. The practices of developing compassion, kindness, joy, and equanimity. Mm. You know, the and those are what I go to, but I also deeply love doing deep samadhi practice just doing kind of vipassana uh-huh. sitting feeling my breath and going mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of jhana practice that yeah. is pretty joyful when i get a chance to drop into that to go that deep i usually need a day or two to start cooking on that but i do like to go to goenka retreats and just drop in just mm. for 10 days just to feel just myself just as vibration. <laughs> Is that uh, how you first um, were exposed to Vipassana through Goenka? Not through Goenka. Actually, my first exposure was from going on a retreat, an insight tradition. I was 24 and doing a 10-day retreat Where? that was Mahasi Saidao. And it just so happened oh. on that retreat, Jack Cornfield was leading it. I had no idea who was leading the retreat. I just heard about this retreat in Yucca Valley in the desert where they'll teach you how to meditate as I was looking to learn because I was practicing on my own and wasn't going very well. Mm. (laughs) I was trying to be a self-taught using Paramahasa Yogananda school. First, Mm. I was Hindu. (laughs) Uh And then I was like, wait, I need need someone to help me. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting very far. So I ended up there and so did the, and that's really where I started practicing Vipassana. Mm. So it's, uh, I don't even know if you know this, but most of us, a, a large percentage of the Westerners that went to India to be with Neem Kar- through Ram Dass and other, mostly through Ram Dass, to be with Neem Karoli Baba, not through his prompting, ended up at the Goenka. Goenka G, you know, that's where we met uh, Joseph and Sharon, and then later Jack. And um, but he 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 knew about it because it became a place. Oh, good. Let me get rid of these people. You going to the course? He'd say in English, "Course, get get." Yes, going. And we all got that grounding. Most yeah. of us in insight meditation, vipassana. So I, whenever I get a chance to recommend that and and we have our closest people with with jack and and now springs you know joining us to help us uh, (laughs) spread that message but joseph and sharon and you can go to uh any of them 
and really get a, a wonderful grounding and particularly around, uh, because we're talking about compassion. So one of the practices that they brought back um, is metta, yeah. loving kindness practice. And mm. I know you are familiar, so this would be a kind of a good way to close out our session around loving kindness. Yes, yeah, so beautiful. And also Goenka, you know, what a beautiful spirit. I mean, just like really was trying to reduce suffering. <laughs> oh, what he's done in the, for us. Worldwide, worldwide, you yeah. know, Goenka yeah. centers in Ecuador and Mexico. And yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and, um, and he's also our ancestor. And so alive in those courses, you know, he's just right there. So the loving kindness practice, yes, it's beautiful to, at the end of the day, to sit with yourself and wish yourself well and wish others well. And to think of that as a real holy practice is so powerful. Mm. You know, again, we have to train in these qualities of the heart, we have to train in compassion, train in loving kindness, train in equanimity, you know, and even training in joy because we can get we can get caught up in the troubles of the world and forget joy and gratitude. Um, but Ramdas really remembered that joy. He kind of emanated that <laughs> mm, that much. cosmic joy in the face of all kinds of difficulties, you know. And and we can follow our ancestor in that. We can follow. We we I got so excited I pulled my headphones out. We 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 can follow these ancestors of ours, our enlightened ancestors. Follow them. They're there. They're alive. <laughs> so uh, it's just one last question and it relates to what you were just offering and it's around joy and how how to it's for me it's all of this is always perspective how to move over just a little bit to the left mm -hmm. or right and so uh, this person is talking about um i walk around with the glass half empty which many of us do so yeah moving that perspective over just enough so that joy can creep in and upend mm -hmm. this half-empty glass. Right. Well, you have to look at everything every day, right down in the morning, five things that you're grateful for. Even if it's for your pillow. <laughs> you have <laughs> a totally pillow. I'm grateful for my pillow. Exactly. Exactly. Imagine. Some people have this. <laughs> I'm grateful that I have water. I can drink the water. I'm oh, grateful God, I yeah. have, you know, it's like you start to think of like what you, instead of what you don't have, what you do have. That's why gratitude practice is so important. It's the step towards joy. It's like walk out and go, I have shoes. Oh my God, I have shoes. I can walk up, walk outside. And if you can see the sun, I can see the sun. You know, it starts simple because there's really no magic pill here, right? It's like the antidote to, to the half-empty pessimistic glass is always gratitude because unless we recognize the gifts that we are given, we'll never feel happy. 
and appreciate the beauty that's in our lives. There's always some beauty in someone's life. And that's honestly why I really enjoyed spending so much time in Peru. Hmm. The Peruvians that I was around a lot in the jungles, they had very little, but they had this joy that was like, yeah, we're poor, but we're happy, you know? Mm. And this idea of sharing and family. And, and of course, they wanted things. They wanted technology at times or other things. But it was this kind of just, it's something about Latin America that is like, there's this warmth of heart that's like gratitude for what we have, you know? Pray on your food. Don't just eat it. Like, wow, I have some bread, Wow, I have eggs. Wow, I can make a sandwich or breakfast or oatmeal or salad. You know, it's to, you have to open the eyes of the sacred, mm. you know, and, and that's not easy. That's not easy, but it can be done. Mm. But just start with five things every day. Wake up for the person who sees things as half empty and so sad to see emptiness in your life, not in the, wise emptiness but in the kind yeah, of you know nihilistic emptiness. nihilistic depressed emptiness so go for five things sit down mm. look around your cat okay great <laughs> anything that you can appreciate start appreciating it yes thank you so much spring Yes, thank you. I know it is great to hang out. What a gift that's happened. We had our lovely other hostess needs to take a break and Jacqueline and now you're here. So we get to hang out. Blessings for that. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Really, really glad that we I was able to be here that uh, we were able to do this and share this with people. And it will be, by the way, you will be able to Check it out because it is being recorded. And you go to ramdas.org slash livestream hyphen replays. So you can do that. And uh, I'm going to say again, please go to ramdas.org slash mountain retreat and check out where spring is going to join us with Christian Das, Sharon Salzberg, Robert Thurman, Neil Rao, and East Forest. And, uh, that's August 25th, and uh, please take a look at that. We'd love to have satsang with you, with everybody. And um, guess who's here next month when we do this spring? Sharon. Sharon Salzberg's going to join Sharon's us. Sharon's everywhere. I love it. She yeah. gets around. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Our dear Sharon. Yeah, really, when? really. Um and, uh, you know, whatever help you can do, by the way, to help support Love Server Member Foundation, all these offerings, which are uh, free, and we just exist because you're part of the community and the part that helps us that way. And uh, just like the there's people like Gina and JR are helping make this happen right now. It's all part of one fabric. So you can text Satsang to... 91999 91999 or Gina you're supposed to put the uh the chat uh in the chat link uh the link cuz you can go direct 
to just do it online. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And um, we'll see you next time. I'm probably forgetting something, Jackie. If you're watching this, I'm so sorry. I'm not as it's good as It's all perfect. You. It's all there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. We will Bye, see you next everyone. time. Bye, everyone. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.